Welcome to the PropTech Podcast. It's Kylie Davis here, and I'm delighted to be your host as we explore the brave new world where technology and real estate collide. It's so great to have you here and to share stories of innovation and opportunity across real estate, property, and building services. And the aim of each episode is to introduce listeners to a PropTech innovator who is pushing the boundaries of what's possible across how we design, build, buy, sell, rent, and invest in property and all of the associated behavior and activities around that. Now, none of this would be possible without our sponsors. So a big shout out to the Direct Connect team, Making Moving Easy, Dynamic Methods, the innovators behind the Forms Live and RealWorks Forms, and the PropTech Association of Australia. Thank you for your support of the podcast. In this episode of the PropTech podcast, get ready for a deep dive into the world of payments. My guest is James Foster, CEO of EasyPay, a man whose depth of knowledge of the history and the future of the Australian payment system is matched only by his passion, and it's pretty extensive. Now, in this podcast, James explains the legacy of the current payment systems, the pain that they cause for property renters and buyers, not to mention anyone paying all of those bills that come with living in a property, and the new world of pay too, which is about to revolutionise how we all make regular payments. We also look at the work that EasyPay is doing with partnerships in the prop tech space to speed up adoption. So here to tell us all about it, James Foster, welcome to the PropTech Podcast. Thanks, Kylie. It's great for you to have me here. No, thank you. So, James, we always start off with an elevator pitch, and I know that you're not strictly a pod, uh, prop tech, but what is the Easy Pay elevator pitch? Sure, and, and always, always a challenge, I think, for um, uh, CEOs to to compress everything because we want to take twenty minutes, and it's going to be the tallest. <laughs> Elevator ride in the world, right? So maybe yeah. you know we're in Dubai and getting in a getting in a really slow lift there. But uh, I mean, fundamentally, you know, we we say that we're a subscription payments company. Um, now uh, that word subscription is pretty loaded. So generally, I say we're a payments company that helps businesses that have some form of ongoing relationship with their customer. Uh, and and that's my that's my way of getting around having to use the word subscription, instalment, recurring, direct debit, all of those words are valid, but, you know, they're, they're all loaded with different meanings depending on the industry or the geography. So, um, I mean, we're a 27-year-old business. We started out in Australia. We're privately owned, um, still are privately owned. The, the um, founder of the business still owns the business, which is fairly unique in this space. Um, I guess in the modern parlance, we would call ourselves a scale-up rather than a startup. Um, I think you know, at 27 years, you'd be actually established. <laughs> I, think could, I think at 27 years under the PropTech yeah. Association guidelines, you're yeah, kind of... Yeah, and I, well, I think particularly with fintech, because, um, you know, again, we do associate more in been in the financial technology. And in fact, there's actually a subset uh, called Paytech now for payments. Oh, there you company. go. So there's... And something tech for everyone, but um, I, I think really the, the reason why we say we're not established is because clearly there are mega, huge, massive organisations, and particularly in the Australian market, they're traditionally the banks. So banks have traditionally been the ones that have processed payments and have been payments companies. And really by saying we're not established, we're just saying, hey, we're not one of those guys, right? And they have their value. But, you know, we still, although we're established, we're still relatively small and, and driving innovation. So, 
you know, we've just hit 100 staff, which depending on your point of view can be big, but, you know, in again, compared to a bank, it's very, very yep. small. So we still move pretty quickly. We're nimble. We are very aggressive on innovating our technology platform. And so I guess that's why I push back pretty hard on the established bit. But <laughs> um, I'm trying to have my cake and eat it too, I think, because in payments, we want to say, hey, look, 27 years, we've got experience. We can be trusted. You know, we're not, sometimes there are challenges in, in payments and, and financial services more broadly with startups not lasting and the concern around trust and and what that means. So obviously we, we do lean on that 27 years of experience, but we don't want to get tagged with being slow and cumbersome and having old technology. So anyway, uh, Dean, the elevators finally stopped. <laughs> maybe, um, maybe it's a little bit like, you know, different gestation periods depending on what industry you're in. And so maybe in uh, fintech you have a like you're more you're more elephants than humans in it before you become an established supplier. And and yeah everyone tries to pitch and and I know um you know we we we've done some work and I, I know you've had David from MRI on the podcast and you know they they have a bigger challenge in that space of again trying to you know position the fact that again they've got a long history and are a large organization but are still trying to do innovative things. So we're, we're we've all got those similar challenges re- regardless of the industry that we're in. Yeah. Now, look, I'm curious because I don't know much about this space at all, but if I'm running a subscription business, why do I need a special, why do I need a, a special solution like EasyPay? Yeah, no, it's a, it's, a, it's a great question and obviously one that I get asked all, all of the time. And um, before we jump and talk more about the specifics in, in, in the property space, um, I use just a, a common analogy of buying something online. If, yep. if you're if you're a merchant or a business, sorry, I use the word merchant because I'm in mm-hmm. payments too much, but if you're a business and you're selling something online, payments is actually a pretty easy and straightforward thing. And I think that's the that's the problem is that in our mindset, we always think along those lines. And why do I say it's easy? Obviously, if you're trying to pay for something online, um, you know how much it is. You've got your payment details on you. You know, if you're paying by credit card, you know your card hasn't expired. It's valid. You know how much the the TV or the, you know, the, the shirt or the shoes or whatever it is you're buying online is. You know how much money you've got. There's really limited scenarios in which that payment's going to fail, right? So it's pretty straightforward. And now if it does fail... Um, obviously, from the business's perspective, it's really straightforward. I don't send you the product, right? You haven't paid for it. I'm not sending it to you. It's really easy, mm-hmm. right? So that's, I think, the context on e-commerce payments or even point-of-sale payments that, that people align themselves to is, hey, payments just is really simple, right? Why is it hard? Whereas yep. when you start talking about subscriptions, and as I said, it's this ongoing relationship, um, and before we talk about property, I'll talk about gym membership because, in fact, that's where we started 27 years ago. Our, our founder ran his own um, gym business and really struggled moving. He was one of the first operators to move from a pay-up-front model to pay-as-you-go model, which sounds funny because as, as an Australian, we're all used to, why would you be paying 12 months gym membership up front? That's just crazy bananas. No one does that. Um, well, <laughs> 27 years ago, that's predominantly how people paid. And I should point out in Asia, which is where we're in as well, is that that's still the predominant method for people to pay for their gym membership is upfront, point of sale, 12-month gym membership. Wow. Uh, And so if you move to that situation where you're paying as you go, so you sign up to your gym membership, month one is fine, month two is fine, month three is fine. Fast forward, it's now 14 months later and your payment fails. Well, 
for starters, in a, that subscription space or, or what we refer to as a merchant-initiated payment rather than a customer-initiated payment, there's lots of reasons why the payment fails. Um, you know, your card could have expired. You could have lost your card and gotten a new card. You could have closed that account and moved your account somewhere else. Um, the number one reason actually why it would fail is because you didn't have enough money in the account. You forgot that on the every second Tuesday of the month that your gym membership comes out. And that's an increasing problem, particularly in the Australian market. So again, if we go back 10, 15 years ago, people had one bank account where their salary got paid and one credit card, really simple. Uh, on average in Australia today, most adults have at least five transaction accounts. Yeah. Um, and if you're like me, you know, you'll have maybe one main account where your salary gets paid into, and then you've got a, a debit card and a separate account that you use for paying your bills or for, you know, weekly expenses or an offset account. And so, you move your money around into those accounts. And so it's, um, you know, it is that challenge where there's not enough funds, right? So bottom line is that there's a lot of uh, reasons why a subscription payment will fail. And then as the business owner, there's, well, it's a lot more complicated. What do I do when that fails, right? Again, if I just go back to my simple gym analogy, do I instantly cut off access to the gym? Your payments failed. Do I just you know, disable your your access pass. And again, most gyms these days are 24 hours. So Kylie, you've had a hard day running the PropTech podcast, the PropTech <laughs> Association, and you're going, you're going for your Pilates <laughs> workout at 11 p.m. at night, but you can't get in the door because unbeknownst to you, your payment failed two hours earlier and they've shut you out. That's not a great customer experience. Okay, well, if I don't do that, what do I do? Do I rebuild you? Uh, do I rebuild you the next day? Do I just wait till next month and charge you twice? But then that's a larger amount. If I'm charging you the next day and it fails, how many times do I keep going? When do I communicate to you, right? So there's a lot of these intrinsic challenges of how to uh, make that payment successful um, and how to do so in a, in a positive customer experience. Because this is the other big challenge that we've seen in all of the industries that we focus on is that customer experience. Because the other approach, the old approach and some of our competitors take is if someone then picks up the phone and calls you and says, hey, Kylie, you didn't pay for your gym membership, you're deadbeat, where's the money? Mm. That's a really negative experience for you as a customer. Yeah. Uh, also creates friction. <laughs> <laughs> Versus an alternative, which is automating that solution, is if you got a text message and said, hey, your payments failed, click here to retry or click here to update your payment details, it's a much more improved customer experience. You don't feel as bad about it. It's automated. It also saves time for the business owner because they're not having to chase their customers up. And it's and missed payments, and this is the really important thing, I think, in the world of subscription payments, is missed payments is not a debt. I really hate that terminology about bad debts. We talk about debtors, right? And mm. I'm starting to get in the world of prop tech a little bit more and, and rent rolls. We talk about debts. It's not a debt. It's a missed payment. I haven't deliberately not paid. Fair enough, there might be a small percentage of situations where a customer is deliberately not paying because they don't want the service or they're in dispute. But the vast majority, it's just a missed payment. It's mm. a missed payment. And so if you treat it like a debt, it's it's inefficient, it's ineffective. And so again, what we try to do is automate that collection. So we're improving the actual collection outcome for a business owner and we're improving the customer experience at the same time. Cool. So 
So how does this work in the property space? Yeah, I mean, it's a good question. I think I alluded to the fact that we started out in other industries. So, um, you know, health and fitness has been a focus for us for a long time. Um, we also have focused on education and childcare. Again, common spaces where there is those subscription payments and needing to automate. What we also realised, what we also built quite a long time ago is not just some advanced capability in the billing space, but also in the settlement space. So actually paying businesses out. And that actually came initially for us because we did a lot of franchising in the health and fitness space. So you've got these complex relationships between a gym owner being a franchisee and the master franchisor and, um, you know, what that relationship, you know, tended to look like and, and how we needed to move money out when we settled um, to, the, to the business owner. And what we started to realise is those capabilities of automated billing and advanced settlement were a really good fit for the, you know, um, rental payment space. Mm -hmm. And I think the rental payment space, particularly in the Australian market, has been really slow to change, right? Oh, it yeah. is still mind-boggling just how um, stuck in the 1980s most rental payments systems are. Right. And um, and I think what also accelerated things for us is that we'd moved to a model of not just building our own solutions, but really working with partners. So in the last, particularly in seven years, so about 27 years history, we've really focused on building our platform out to support software platforms to embed our capability. And I think what we've seen, obviously, in the prop tech space is there's a lot of new players that are entering to try and disrupt the traditional property management, whether or not it's trustless um, or whether or not it's just a different approach is there's a lot more software providers that have entered that space and they've been looking for payment partners to embed a payment capability. And so that really opened our eyes to the, you know, huge opportunity in this space. And so over the last number of years, we've been steadily um, focusing on rental payments in the prop tech um, sector more broadly you know, and getting some new partnerships and, and and being able to get some traction in that space. So it's still early days for us. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's still a huge amount of potential, but it's really been that capability of us realizing that hey, there's a there's a market need, and and when we really digged into it, um, I think it was really surprising, particularly for me personally. Just as I said, what huge inefficiencies there are in rental payments, um, particularly in the Australian market today. Let me ask you a question. Are you happy with your current operational workflow? Are you really satisfied with printing, signing, scanning and emailing contracts and then having to wait days for them to be signed and returned? Well, I didn't think so. And I have some good news. There is a better way. Dynamic Methods is the team behind leading real estate industry tech platforms such as Forms Live, REI Forms Live and RealWorks. With a mission to make better happen, Dynamic Methods are dedicated to providing efficiency and productivity tools, boosting form technology to real estate agencies across Australia. Each month, 50,000 real estate professionals across 8,500 agencies from every Australian state and territory use Dynamic Methods form technology. 
empowering more than 7.2 million transactions a year. Dynamic Methods is also proud to host quality integrations with some of the prop tech industry's most powerful technologies, such as DocuSign, Secure Exchange, Equifax, and more, putting everything you need to get forms and contracts filled in, signed, verified, and exchanged into one easy platform. So if you're ready to ditch the pen and paper, make your agency look more efficient, head to dynamicmethods.com.au slash partners to learn more. So I've got a whole pile of questions around that. The first one is, why did you pick the 1980s as you think that's when <laughs> to kind of act in? Well, no, 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 serious question. What are the characteristics of it that yeah. flag it to being back dated back to then? Yeah, okay. So, so I guess two things. Um, so direct debit as a product, as a feature, as a capability was sort of built in the 80s, right? So it's been around for a long time. Um, and I my I'll, dad I'll, was very excited about online ba- or internet banking, phone banking, phone banking. That's what it was. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> when that was and, and and the funny thing there is, and I'll, I'll I'll try not to get too payment nerd on you um, during the podcast, but we're, but we're it's, I think payments is one of those things that as we all are impacted by it, we all use payments every day, right? And we just tend to not know how it works under the covers. And whenever I talk about this stuff, people go, oh, is that why, you know, my internet banking looks like that or how a payment works, et cetera. So technically, and this is also an important topic because I think um, direct debit was created. Now, direct debit is uh, built on a system called direct entry and direct entry does both debits and credits. uh, And it actually runs on a system called BEX the bulk electronic clearing system. There you go. I'm getting super nerdy on you. And that was built Mm -hmm. a very long time ago. Um, And direct debit was designed for a pool payment. So uh, a merchant to be able to take a payment out of someone's account with their permission, right? Now, the challenge is back in the 1980s, that permission was a piece of paper called a direct debit authority, a DDA, right? Mm -hmm. And we're all still familiar with that concept of agreeing to a direct debit authority. And in most cases, that's gone online. I should still say, still incredibly paper-based, which drives I know me. I was going to say, and it's still on a piece of paper that gets maybe in emailed a, to you these days. In a lot of cases, it shouldn't be, and it doesn't have to be. <laughs> we can talk about that. But the funny thing is, the funny thing is, is that terminology, what they did a great job of was branding the name direct debit, direct debit, direct debit, direct debit. Everyone in Australia knows the term direct debit. In fact, too much. And so what it's become a shorthand is when people say, I pay by direct debit, what they're really saying is they pay by their bank account, right? They they pay by bank transfer. And funnily enough, if we actually look at rental payments in Australia, um, the majority of payments are actually a tenant-initiated EFT, so electronic funds transfer, okay? And so um, what I would say, whenever anyone asks me, and I, I, again, I I bore everyone to death these days, and when when I ask them, you you know, do you rent? And they say yes, and I say, how do you pay your rent? They say direct debit. I don't leave it at that. And I say, what do you mean by that? I said, do you have in your internet banking, right, a schedule set up that you control where you're transferring money to another bank account, right, on a regular basis. And they say, yes. And I say, well, that's not direct debit, okay? That's electronic funds transfer. And the important part there, Kylie, is that it is tenant initiated. They're in control of that, all right? And um, 
and I know I'm flipping around here a little bit, but fundamentally, that's one of the biggest problems that we see with any customer-initiated payment, even with that regularity, because this is just, and by the way, this is my classic question, right? So let's say you are paying your rent, Kylie, and you've entered into an initial 12-month lease, and you've been provided a BSB and an account number that you've got to pay into on a fortnightly basis, right? Um, now, when you're setting up that transfer in your internet banking, you're always given, right, a couple of options. It'll it'll say, keep going either um, a certain number of times, mm-hmm. right? So you can yep. say do it 10 times on a yep. specific end date or yep. continue f- until you cancel it, right? Yep. Now, if you're, you've just entered into a lease agreement, right, for an initial 12 months, what, what which one of those buttons are you going to choose? You're going to choose the time so that you don't... The date, and it's going to line up with your initial lease agreement. And what you're going to say to yourself is, I'll probably be sticking around for longer than 12 months, but at the end of my lease, I'll just remember magically to log in and update it. Yeah, you won't, right? (laughs) So you won't because it's human behaviour, right? And what I would generally say is, again, that's about control. Most people, they they don't want to just say keep on forever because they will say, I might forget and pay too much. I'd rather pay too less. Yeah. Right? And, and that's that's an interesting challenge. So, but that is then different to direct debit. So direct debit set up in the 1980s based upon Bex. A couple of real challenges with um direct debit in Australia. It is not real time, right? So the magic waiting three days is because of fundamentally how the bulk electronic clearing system works. When we submit a file for processing. We have, there is a service level agreement that all banks adhere to that they have to take that money out within three days. And if it's unsuccessful, they have to send a failure response within three days, which is just crazy, right? Again, it's 2023. Even people that aren't doing tenant initiated EFT, the bulk of it is running on direct debit. And the downsides with that is we can't control when it comes out. So if someone wants to pay on a Thursday, we can't guarantee that. We'll submit the file on a Wednesday night. It might come out on Thursday. It might come out on Friday. It might come out on Monday. Mm. And the other big challenge with that is, as I said, we have to wait three days for the funds to clear and, more importantly, three days to find out that it's failed. So, again, a tenant wants to pay on a Thursday. We submit the file. We find out on a Monday that it's failed three days later. So then we've got to retry the payment. Again, we're waiting another three days, right? Mm-hmm. That's six business days, right? A week has gone past before you know it's failed again. So um, fundamentally, direct debit, and there's a bunch of platforms and systems that have fancy names like Deft, et cetera, et cetera, are all built around this archaic platform for moving money. It's just crazy. Is BPay built on that too? Um, BPay runs on direct entry. Um, uh, So, again, and direct credits move a bit faster, so paying people. But, yeah, it still is, BPay is still, now, BPay is different because it is designed as a customer-initiated payment, okay? So, it it is up to the tenant to pay. It is not real-time, Okay. Um, what BPay was good at, and again, I know we're jumping all around the place, but it's helped solves one of the challenges with rental payments, which is reconciliation. Yeah. Right? So you want to make sure that your customer pays into the right account and you need to be able to know who that payment came from. So 
Again, you can do that with EFT. Please use reference number 46742, mm -hmm. right? And here's the BFB and account number. Now, so the challenge with EFT payments is the tenant could either pay to the wrong account or they could put the wrong reference number in, and that's going to cause you grief. BPay solves one of those problems with the reference number because, you know, they've got a customer reference number, which means something. But even then, it still relies on the tenant getting that detail right. Yeah. Right. It still replaces, you know, it replaces two things, a BSB and account number and a manual reference number with one, you know, with, with a bill of code and a customer reference number, but it's still relying on the tenant to get that data entry right. And it's also still relying on the tenant to pay when they want to pay. And fundamentally, as a subscription payments company, that's why we say customer-initiated payments are evil. They're horrible. They are not in the favour of a business. So they're not in the favour of a landlord. They're not in the favour of a property manager. They're not in the favour of a gym owner. They're not in favour of anyone wanting to get paid. They are the, the enemy. They are the devil. Hmm. So... So what's the experience of a like so using an, an easy so using easy pay yep. that's what plugging into whatever whatever uh, property management CRM system I'm using or whatever, but yes. what is the experience of a of a tenant or a renter in that space? Yeah, good. I'm trying not to use the word tenants on the PropTech podcast. I try, I'm trying <laughs> to discipline myself to use the word renter because tenants is a word based in not the you know, the 1600s or something back in the time. <laughs> yeah, just like merchants, as I was using merchant, right? Well, you know, yeah, and landlands. Like there merchant, there'll be merchant no, ships there'll be, sailing out yeah. to sea. Um, yeah, there'll so... Be no killing the surfs as <laughs> it's, it's, it's a really good question. I, I think on a couple of fronts, right? So um, although we are unashamedly on the side of the landlord, the person wanting to get paid, so we yep. care the most about them, right? Um, having said that, there are lots of benefits for the tenant or the person needing to pay, okay? Uh, for us, there's a couple of things. One, we do make it easy for them to change their payment method. If they want to pay by debit card or credit card or bank account or change their bank account, because we're sitting in the middle and because of the tools and the platforms we have in place, we can make that easy for them, right? Again, it's not this hard approach or and and by the same token if the landlord changes their account like think about property managers changing their trust account details what a nightmare they don't want to change that because they've got so many tenants hard coded paying into that account so we make that flexibility on the tenant side to be able to change their payment details right um again i think there was an aborted attempt a long time ago with rental rewards and you know pay by credit card and the you know ridiculous rates and what does that mean but um, outside of that, it's not just about, you know, accruing points. Again, if we look at these days with the rise of debit cards, people don't know what their BSB and account number is. They've got a debit card attached to that, and that's how they want to pay. So flexibility for the tenant. Um, what I would also say, and this is the interesting thing, so I sort of talked about control before, right? So again, to that analogy of I'm controlling an EFT payment. I want to set it up in a regular basis, but I want to have control over it. So I didn't want to say going forever. I want to be able to stop it, right? I want to have some control. By the same token, as a tenant, I've set that up because every fortnight, I don't want to have to log in and manually pay it, yeah. right? Which is also why BPay is not a great solution. I, I, again, 
If you look at subscription payments, if Netflix manually asked you to enter your payment details every month, it would drive you crazy, right? So and it's about getting the balance right. So most people want the convenience of just take my payments, but they do want control, right? And so that's where we try to have that balancing act and we work with a lot of our partners to say, we'll allow a tenant to set up their payment details, but we give them the ability to come in and say, stop or change my payment details or I've, I've changed accounts or put a pause on that, right? And again, that's about balancing out their requirements. So that's a big benefit that we have for tenants is just making their life a lot easier from, from that perspective. Do So some of the um, rental payment systems that are out there at the moment involve charging renters and tenants for, um, you know, for credit card fees and yeah. things like that. Is that part of it or how do you yeah, go? Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a really good question, I think. Um, and to, to be honest, right, I think um, coming back to my, um, you know, negative commentary on the state of payments in, in, in the prop tech space, a big part of that has come down to the regulation. The good old rule in most jurisdictions where as a landlord, you need to offer at least one fee-free payment method. Yeah. Right. Now, what that's resulted in is a lot of horrible situations. Is like, yeah, you can come to our office and pay in cash and we won't charge you a fee. Ugh. Well, but right. some offices won't even take that anymore. So, you know. Yeah. But it's also come into that situation, to be honest, which is why people have said, oh, well, if you transfer to our bank account, that's free. So we can we can offer that and it's free. Or as well, coming back to direct entry. So I just said, hey, you know, what's the bad, bad things about direct debit? It's slow, it's cumbersome, but it's lower cost. So what ha- has happened as well is that people would say, okay, well, we're just, because we have to offer one fee-free payment method the landlord or the property manager or the platform will bear the cost of that, and but that's all we're going to offer. We're obviously not going to offer card payments because they're more expensive, right, and we that's going to eat into our margin. And so what we're able to do, and others do as well, to be honest, is that flexibility of who pays the fee. So in those situations where you want to say, hey, look, um, you know, you can pay by direct debit and it doesn't cost you anything more, but if you want the convenience, Mr. Tenant, of paying by card, then you have to pay the processing fee. Right. Okay. And again, it's that choice from that perspective of of giving them that flexibility. And and what we've seen in our work so far is that if you actually do give tenants the choice, a lot of them don't mind paying. Tenants don't like being forced with something in some Mm -hmm. situations, but if you give them the choice and there are obviously benefits for them around that, then they're often happy to do that as long as it's transparent and visible. Okay, so, um, so who, so who are some of your partners that you're working with? Can you give us a shout out to some of the companies that are using you guys? I can a couple, and and this is where I'll do the usual. You know, we Quite are well. working with <laughs> quite a few that we can't talk about yet because they're at certain stages where they don't want to announce or tip yep. their hat yeah. too much, and that's sometimes frustrating. I think working in that startup space is. You know, everyone wants to be in stealth mode and doesn't want to talk about it, whereas we want to sing from the rooftops. Yeah. Um, but firstly, what I'll say is we've definitely got an interesting spectrum of partners that we're working with. So we're working with um, some that are definitely in that early stage disruption, trustless 
uh, and self-managed model. So one I can name because we've got a public case study is Instarent, and I know they're part of the PropTech Association. And you know, um, yeah. you know, you've you've worked shout with AJ. Out to AJ. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so we'll give a shout out to AJ. Um, so they've worked with us, uh, and again, interesting in that model as well as in that self-managed space. It's not just about processing tenant payments. As I said, what we're able to help facilitate is moving that money around um, to the landlord to the service provider, you know, so, you know, they're really leveraging the full stack of our capabilities of not just those rental payments, but also moving money around and meaning that InstaRent doesn't have to operate its own trust account. And it means that they can settle faster to landlords. So we're working with a, a number of um, um, platforms like InstaRent. Mm-hmm. On the other end of the spectrum, um, we're also working with some well-established, very large players that have multiple brands in the rental payment space um, that are realising that they are being disrupted by some of those startups and are needing to offer a suite of capabilities and payments friction and increased settlement speed is important to them, not just in the rental space, but also strata, um, you know, so it's not just residential um, obviously, people. Oh can- yes, strata fees. God, why? I'm always getting into trouble for missing my strata fees. <laughs> not because yeah, I intend to. It's just that oh god, now I have to go in manually and set up a, a VPay payment for. Yeah. There you go. Exactly. You've just put that thing on subscription, people. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. And so, uh, so we're working with some 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 relatively large players in that space, and it's a different challenge there as well because again. Um, they've got more established software platforms, they've got bigger teams, they've got lots more priorities. And so how they fit that in and where they see that importance sort of coming into play is, is a little bit more challenging. So we do have a, a, a fairly broad spectrum. Uh, and to be fair as well, what I'd also say is that we've also got a number of quite small real estate um, providers that are doing effectively their own property management and either having their own platforms or using some of our standalone capabilities because their rent rolls aren't necessarily huge and they can take advantage of that as a bit of a stepping stone. So, um, you know, so we do have a, a quite a broad range of partners. Clearly, I would love to get more. Um, and, you know, and, you know, we're, we're seeing that sort of trend drive more and more. And particularly to your point, I think COVID was a real shot in the arm around digitizing a lot of that old, uh, a lot of those old processes and making people recognise there was an opportunity to change. And eventually it's now getting to, I think, payments. Because as I said, people have taken payments for granted. And there's a number of other things that are changing in the industry that people are recognising that, you know, is is going to be significant and they need to do something. Mm. So, so, James, what have we... have? Hey, too. What is that? Have we talked about that yet, or is that we haven't? Oh, that we haven't. That's um again another great thing to talk about. So, um, pay too, and again, um, I've got to be mindful that you know a lot of your listeners won't necessarily be in the payment space. So, pay too for starters, P A Y T O, not the number two, P A Y T O. Okay, so it is. Uh, so we have to wind the clock back a little bit. So as I mentioned, we've got this direct entry system, direct debits, been around for a long time. Um, so that affected both pull payments, direct debit, as well as push payments. It was slow to, to send money to people. Mm-hmm. Then along came the NPP, the new payments platform. Okay. Um, 
And that's what has powered um, capabilities like OSCO. So people probably may be a little bit more familiar with OSCO, but it also introduced this thing called PayID. Again, people have heard of PayID. That was all created by the new payments platform, which is originally a separate entity called the NPPA, New Payments Platform Australia or Association. Never remember what the A is. Um, which was a conglomeration of a bunch of the, the banks as well as the big retailers. They all got together and said, hey, Australia's payments infrastructure sucks. We're going to build some cool real-time payment infrastructure. And they worked. And a bunch of years ago, they released the NPP, which is what has powered real-time push payments. So we're now, as Australian consumers, a lot more used to being able to send someone money and it arriving in real time. Okay, there's a couple of exceptions around that, but but that's what the NPP is. Um, as a side note, um, there used to be the NPP, FPOS as a separate organisation, and BPAY, mm-hmm. and they all combined together in the last 12, 24 months into a new organisation called Australian Payments Plus, AP Plus. Right. But basically, it's an organisation that's driving effectively innovation in domestic Australian payments. So um, both BPAY, FPOS and NPP. So, so that's a bit of a primer, right? So, um, so they created this real-time push payments infrastructure, but it didn't support, and, and this is what we got frustrations from our customers about is, hey, I can now send someone payments in real time. Why easy pay do I still have to wait three days for these direct debits? Why isn't it real time? And we had to explain that the NPP infrastructure didn't have a capability for real time. For, sorry, for, for pull payments, for a direct debit, okay? Until now, well, until technically July 1st last year, right? That is when Pay2 was launched. And what it has, and this is where I'm going to fangirl a little bit about Pay2, and, and I... What I will say is that what we now have is actually, so we've leapfrogged, we've gone from the 1980s to the most advanced subscription payment infrastructure in the world, full stop, in the world. And I'll try and convince you, Kyle, I know you're looking at me with some doubt (laughs) in your eyes. So let me try and convince you why it's the best in the world because it does a bunch of things, okay? At the heart of it is a, a a Payment agreement. I'm meant to call it an agreement. I get in trouble by AP Plus when I call it a mandate. Under the covers, it's called a mandate. Um, and for those that want to know some, you know, insider baseball, the Pay2 used to be called the Mandate Payment Service, which was a bit boring. That's why they decided to brand it as Pay2. Um, but a mandate or an agreement is a digital version of those old school pieces of paper. Yep. Okay. And they are housed in a central database, and they are made available inside everyone's internet banking app. So no matter who you bank with, and I'll come to that in a second, but what you will have, so for example, when you set up, when we set up a new agreement with you, it will pop up in your internet banking app. And it won't be, because again, what we're used to with old school direct debit authorities is just this vague notion of, I agree to pay this person an amount of money for the rest of time, Mm -hmm. right? These digital agreements are far more specific, so we can control them. We're now saying, and and not just that, but we involve everyone in the relationship. So I can say, Easy Pay 
in partnership with Instarent on behalf of this landlord is going to be taking this much of money from you. And we can specify amounts and frequency. So we can say we're taking $500 a week, every week for 24 months, right? Mm-hmm. Or we can even do variable. We can say we're taking amounts between X dollars and Y dollars. And we can say, um, you know, a maximum times per month, or there's a whole bunch of different scenarios. We can even say things like a total amount payable until that's paid off. So there's a whole bunch of flexibility that's built into this concept of an agreement. Okay. Um, and What that gives you as well is that agreement pops up in your internet banking app. You have to authorize that. So you have to say, I'm okay with that. You have to approve it. And once that exists, so there's this agreement that sits, is that we can then pull that money from your account in real time. So when it comes time to make take that payment, we can initiate, it's called a payment initiation, we can initiate that payment and that payment occurs or is attempted, I should say, in real time and is funded in real time. What's great about that, forget about getting paid in real time, it's the importance, coming back to what I said before about not knowing when a payment fails, a couple of things happen. We can now control the exact time and date. It's a 24 by 7 payment system. So I can now take your rent out of your account at 10 a.m. on a Saturday because you've told me that that's your preferred time or our systems have decided that's the best time to take your money out. So we can now control the exact timing and day of the week that that money comes out. And if it fails, we know about it in real time. We know instantly that it's failed. So we can attempt it an hour later. We can attempt it the next morning. We can control that, right? So it basically turns the bank account infrastructure into what we have with credit cards, right? Right. Uh, and I'll come back to that in a second. So it's real time. So we can we can take these payments in real time. We get funded in real time. Um, now, uh, what I would also say, the other benefit of it is, is those mandates, you've got control of that as the customer. Not only can you remove authority, so you've got that, you know, comfort that says, you know, I might be in dispute or I'm no longer at that property anymore. I'm not paying that. You can go in and disable that. So it gives you comfort. But it also means you can change the account it's connected to. So there's a concept of a mandate. If you're changing bank accounts, you can just connect that mandate to a different bank account. You can even move banks. You've moved from CBA to Westpac. Mm-hmm. That mandate is now portable. No longer is this nightmare of when we change bank accounts and having to figure out all of our payments and reaching out to everyone and updating our details and writing a new piece of paper, right? As a consumer, you can just move that mandate, right? And we just bill against the mandate. The mandate knows where the account is, happy days. So it's better for everyone. Awesome. Awesome. Um, and, and why I say it's the most advanced capability in the world is a number of other countries have built this real-time capability. Mm-hmm. But what they haven't built is this mandate capability, right? And so a lot of other real-time payment platforms are what we call request to pay. So they're sort of bill payments. They're, hey, Kylie, you owe me money. Please pay me this amount and you authorise it and I take it. Mm-hmm. Again, this concept of these agreements means that we can do proper subscription recurring payments, mm-hmm. right? And, and we can manage that within that scope. And what it's also been and, and what we've got to um, actually appreciate here is the Reserve Bank of Australia stepped in and made this mandatory for all banks in Australia. Now, what I would say, and this is the commentary at the moment, I said before we went live 1st of July last year, 
Not all banks were ready. And right. in fact, at the time of our conversation right now, only one of the major four banks are live, and that's Commonwealth Bank. Um, so they went early. Um, yep. A couple of other smaller banks have, have gone live. And the Reserve Bank got a bit grumpy with the other banks and said, you missed your deadline. Um, and there's a new deadline of April, May this year. And everyone has publicly said that they're on track and they're going to be live. So by the middle of this year, at least, pretty much the majority of banks will be um, live with this capability. And that means, as I said, for consumers, it's super easy because these mandates will just pop up in their internet banking app, right? Mm -hmm. And and what's even better about that, and that's, sorry, that's the last thing I forgot. And you can tell I'm just, as I said, I, I, I warned you I was fangirling about this. KID <laughs> um, is also integrated with this, right? So for those that don't, and this is what also frustrates me, a lot of people don't get what PayID is. PayID is a global address book, which instead of remembering your BSB and account number, you can set up your own PayID, which is typically your email address or your phone number. Mm -hmm. And... When you want to get paid by someone, right, you can say, here's my pay ID. You don't have to give them a BSB and account number. You say, here's my pay ID, right? Mm -hmm. What's great about that, number one, is people don't have to remember a BSB and account number. What's also great is there's some inherent inbuilt security with that that fights against scams because when you pay someone using a pay ID, it resolves that and it shows you the account name, right? So someone can't be dodgy and pretend that they're someone on they're not and say, hey, I'm from Qantas, please pay me $1,000 you owe me, here's my BSB and account number. With a pay ID, if they said, hey, I'm Qantas and here's my pay ID and you were trying to pay with them and it, you know, appeared that their name was, the account name was James Foster, you'd go, oh, something's dodgy going on. So pay ID is fantastic in terms of push payments and fighting fraud, but it's also integrated with pay too. And again, what just from the customer experience perspective, it means if I'm signing up to something, I don't have to remember my BSB and account number. And not only that, I don't even, if I'm paying by credit card, because people like cards because they've got them on them, you still have to know what your 16-digit, you know, credit card number is. You don't yeah. need to know that anymore. You just remember your email address or your phone number. You sign up with those details. You'll then get this push notification in your internet banking app. You authorize it and you're off to the races. So it's a mm -hmm. fantastic customer experience. And it's fantastic for businesses. So in the context of, of property management, fantastic for landlords because it's guaranteeing they're getting paid. They're getting paid faster. It just improves that whole process. So it is going to be a massive game changer. Um, mm -hmm. And that's why for us, incredibly important. We were one of the first payment initiators or subscription payment providers to go live on day one. So we're live with Pay2 now. Um, mm -hmm. And again, we're working with, uh, a number of our partners in that prop tech space to make sure that they're taking advantage of that. Um, and, and really to close it off, the analogy that I often use, right, is sending a parcel. Um, direct debit is like um, sending a package with Australia Post. Mm -hmm. It's slow. It'll get there, but it's pretty cheap. It's relatively cheap. Yep. You know, there's no tracking. Sometimes it doesn't get there, but you know what? It is what it is. Paying by credit card is sort of like the analogy of sending it by courier. It is fast. You've got tracking, but, geez, it's a bit expensive. If you really need it to be there, definitely on time, you're going to use a courier. But there might be a bunch of features there like, you know, refrigerated transport, and I'm not sending something that needs refrigeration. 
right? So there's some features there you might not need. Pay two is the express post of that analogy. Okay? Mm-hmm. It is, it's got tracking. It's faster. It does all of those things. It's a massive improvement to parcel post. It'll get there next day. And it's not, it's not as expensive as, you know, sending it via courier. That's the, that's the analogy that I like to use. Okay. Awesome. This episode is sponsored by EasyPay. EasyPay makes collecting PropTech payments easy. As one of Australia's leading subscription payment providers, EasyPay is helping real estate and PropTech businesses to improve rental collection rates, transform arrears management, and increase cash flow. Built for integration with a focus on partnerships, EasyPay's platform works seamlessly with your existing PropTech software, giving you access to industry-leading features that enable complex billing and settlement to support trustless business models. Discover the power of payment automation and leverage one of the first platforms to enable the Pay2 payment solution at easypay.com forward slash PropTech. So what kind of partners are you, like what kind of businesses um, could and should be using you, James? Everyone, Kylie, everyone. Uh, <laughs> let's, 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 let's bring it back down to the property sector. <laughs> yeah. So, well, again, I mean, um, it's, it, is, it is really, um, you know, and, and I appreciate it as well, and this is where often we have a conversation with property managers. Now, be that traditional, you know, real estate guys um, or, you know, some, some of the newer players in that space and, Although they can definitely use our standalone capability, so depending on uh-huh. their scale. But but realistically, and and coming back to what we talked about before, one of the number one challenges with payments in the prop tech space is reconciliation. Yeah, right. Yep. That's why some of those solutions we talked about exist. It's yep. also why the number one challenge I think for property managers is it's just that inefficiency because of course they get payments now, but they have to hire a full-time person or multiple people just to chase up payments, do the reconciliation, Just ma- and, but we just take it for granted. Yep. Um, now, a big part of, though, us, our best solution there is integration with the property management software platform. So clearly, people that are on uh, listening to this podcast right now that are building or own or are involved with a property management software platform or anything to do with rental payments or managing rent uh, rent rolls, they should be reaching out to us, right? That's 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 our number one focus is getting those partnerships. Having said that, right, if you're a property manager and you've got a really old school payment capability in that property management software, you need to be putting pressure on your provider of saying, what's the alternative? Why why is it this bad? Why, why can't we do this, right? And I think that's important for a few reasons. Again, it's it's time wasting. I, I think, you know, again, you look at and and um, you know, again, listening to your podcast and 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 a number of other things, one of the trends we see in particularly the residential property space is this combining of the the sales and the property management space. There's a number of providers and there's a number of acquisitions in the space, you know, that complete 360. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting in the conversations that we've had with people that manage a rent role is that they're just managing that rent role as a thing that they do. It's just there. It's part of their business. Okay. It provides some revenue. But when I asked them about that efficiency thing, they're saying like, oh, well, you know, we've, we've had Gertrude or Philip or whoever it is that they've got there forever and they manage it and it's okay. And I'm like, but if we could drastically improve that time, Shouldn't Gertrude or Philip, you can tell I'm bad at coming up with names, Kylie. (laughs) 
Mary and John, yeah. <laughs> Why aren't they on the phone talking to those landlords and actually getting to know them a little bit better and realising that actually you're only managing one of their properties and they've actually got six and now the five properties are with someone else and yeah. you haven't actually had the time to do that. And that's what it comes back to is that it's not just about time saving because I think, you know, we get caught in a trap in the prop tech and fintech space of talking about efficiency and effectiveness and time saving. It's it's not just about that, right? Sometimes it can be about reducing headcount, but it's about, well, what can your team be doing with the time that you get from that, right? So mm-hmm. that that's a big part of it is, is being able to leverage more of that time, increase your rent roll, cross-sell. Again, did you know that that you're managing a property for a landlord that's about to buy or sell another property and you're not involved in that conversation because you're not engaging enough. So that's one aspect of it. I think the other one as well, increasingly, and this comes back to what we said before, is that payments and tenant experience will start to be a bit of a differentiator, right? It will be, and again, it's consumer expectation because again, and we only touched on it before with like trustless accounting, it's not the concept of a trust account, it's the concept of a landlord going, why the hell am I waiting 30 days to get paid? Mm. Yep. And why am I seeing these complex reports and not understanding where my money goes and why don't I have enough control over that? Which is, you know, again, I, I know that's why a number of people are going into that self-managed space, but, but even in that interim of being able to create more transparency and improve that experience for the landlord, for the tenant, you know, and and being able to use that as an actual differentiator, right? And and that's where I do come back to. I think we all recognise that, you know, clearly tenants aren't choosing what property they live in based upon who the property manager is necessarily. But the landlords definitely do um, based upon that experience and what value that they're getting from that. And so understanding that that can actually be a differentiator and that's why we are seeing you know, the rise of so many prop techs in, in this space, focusing on that overall experience. So, James, I'm just conscious of time because we have been deep diving. What's the future hold for Easy Pay? Um, good question, Kylie. I think um, uh, my, my, my normal answer is if I completely knew that, I'd, I'd be a very wealthy man. And, and anyone, <laughs> anyone that can easily <laughs> forecast the next three that. years, you know, I think <laughs> I, I had a reality check with the global pandemic. Um no, for us, um, we're going through a really exciting phase of growth. Again, I know I mentioned, you know, we're a 27-year-old business, but our approach to, I think, two things, our, our partnership platform strategy and also focusing on, on particular verticals like, like PropTech has really seen us going through some really awesome growth at the moment. So we're growing our teams. You know, we've got two main offices, one in Sydney. In fact, we just relocated from, from Chatswood into the Sydney CBD. We're actually part of Stone and Chalk's Scale Up Hub again. Ah, that's where you know, bona fide scale up there. Um, that's part yeah. of the new Tech Central precinct that the New South Wales mm-hmm. government's investing in, which is pretty exciting. And we had to make that move just because we've been growing our team and also just the joys of moving to a hybrid work work environment. Um, we've also got an office in Malaysia because we're we're operating in nine countries. So we're and it's a party trick if I can remember this off the top of my head, but Australia, New Zealand, Singapore, Hong Kong, Malaysia, Philippines, Thailand, Taiwan, and South Korea. I think that was all of them. Um, and so we're seeing huge growth, um, you know, in Australia um, and New Zealand, you know, which we've been in those markets the longest, but also seeing huge growth in Asia. So um, just growth on all of those dimensions, which was which is really exciting. But also coming back to what we talked about before, 
Um, this year is going to be a huge year in Australia for the rollout of Pay2. So we're seeing a lot of work with our partners and, and we expect as more and more consumers see this and understand what's possible, that that's going to drive things. And, and eventually direct debit will be turned off in the Australian market. So we're going to see a lot of that, as well as, to be honest, payments doesn't stand still, right? There's a lot of innovation that's coming, not just in you know, real-time account-to-account platforms like Pay2. We work quite closely with the card schemes like MasterCard, Visa, and American Express. And so there's a lot of interesting stuff that's that's happening in this space. So, um, yeah, lots lots to come. Awesome. Well, look, James, it's been um, fantastic having you on the PropTech podcast. Thanks so much for your time. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Kylie. I feel like I know and so much more about payments. I know, and you're gonna you're gonna see you're gonna see see the world through a different lens next time you log into your internet banking. If that's if that's just one thing I could do, I'm I'm glad I could do it. But um, no, look, again, I'm Kylie. loving that. I'm loving that. It gives me a reason to. I don't have to worry about if I want to leave. Awesome. <laughs> All good. Thanks for having me. So, what do you think about EasyPay? I thoroughly enjoyed geeking out with James and deep diving into the world of payments. It's something that we do every day. Well, I certainly do it. And there is really a lot of legacy procedures that still occur. And every year they get less and less acceptable. In my family, I am the payer of the bills. And ever since I did this interview with James, I've just started noticing how much time it takes for payments to clear the cost of that to me and to the suppliers that I use and the time that I need to spend each month and each quarter to set up the same payments again and again. Now, my dad, when he was alive, God bless him, always had a rule in business. Always make it easy for people to pay you, he used to tell me. But it's astonishing how many businesses get that wrong and how many businesses prioritise back-end reconciliation and the ease for their staff over customer experience. So if you're running a prop tech or a real estate agency, property management or a strata business that requires regular payments, don't assume that BPay or direct debit are the best options and consider whether you want to go with a Stripe or perhaps a local payment solution like EasyPay. Consider whether you want to treat people like debtors or like customers and then start to look at the benefits of Pay2 and local solutions like EasyPay. Now, if you have enjoyed this episode of the PropTech Podcast, I would love you to tell your friends or drop me a line either via email, LinkedIn or on our Facebook page. You can follow this podcast on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Anchor and Apple iTunes. I'd like to thank my podcast producer, the fabulous Charlie Hollins and our sponsors, Direct Connect, Making Moving Easy, Dynamic Methods, the name behind Forms Live, REI Forms Live and RealWorks and the PropTech Association of Australia. Australia, Australia's industry body supporting the flourishing prop tech community. Now, if you're an Australian or a New Zealand prop tech who would like to be on the show, drop me a line via LinkedIn or Kylie at proptechassociation.com.au. Thanks, everyone. Until next time, keep on prop teching. Do you run a prop tech business or are you the founder of a prop tech? Make sure you join the Prop Tech Association of Australia. It's Australia's new not-for-profit association made up of tech people who are passionate about the property industry and committed to improving experiences in how we buy, sell, rent, manage, build and finance property. Joining will give you access to events and networks across Australia and globally to help you promote and grow your business. Go to proptechassociation.com.au and follow the prompts to join.